0: Happy Sabbath, brethren. Welcome again to our visitors and to our guests and to all of you. It is wonderful to be back here with you today. And I do bring you warm greetings and love from 92 of your brethren in Barbados, where I had the privilege of spending last Sabbath and Sunday. They also wanted me to pass along to you that you are in their prayers, and they mean that. So uh, greetings again from them. And a wonderful Sabbath day to you all. Thank you very much to the choir for that fantastic special music. Yes, our Lord is incredibly great. And we are at a time of the year in which we spend extra time focusing on what He did for us. What He was willing to go through on our behalf. Part of what we do at this time of year, because of him and because of his command, is to reflect on our own lives, isn't it? To look at ourselves, to examine ourselves as we enter this spring, holy day season, spring here in the northern hemisphere. For those of you who might hear this sermon later, we know that we are to be reflecting on ourselves. We're to be examining ourselves all year long, not just at the Passover. We're to be in a constant state of self examination, looking at ourselves in the mirror of this God's Word, seeing where we might fall short and seeing where we are growing. Brethren, today I want to challenge you to examine yourself on a spiritual state of mind that is paramount to entry into God's kingdom as His first fruits. This state of mind and state of heart is critical for all of us to possess, whether we're older or whether we're young people. God wants all of us to have this perspective as we prepare to celebrate the Passover, celebrating the life and the death of our Savior, who not only is our Savior, but also qualified to be the Savior of the world because of his absolute love for mankind. Brethren, do we care enough about the people of the world, all the other people also made in the image of God, to want to share God's awesome truth with them? Do we truly have the love of Christ in us for them? Brethren, why are you here today? What made it possible for you to be here For you to know the truth that you know. For you to sit here and understand and drink in of the truth of God. Again, how much do you care about preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God to the world? Do you care enough about the people of this world to sacrifice so that they can receive the good news? The coming kingdom of God just like you have? Do you care enough about the people of the world to want them to repent of their evil ways so that they too can be forgiven and walk on a godly path full of blessings? How important is it for God and Jesus Christ to have their church wholeheartedly doing the work? Brethren, my purpose today is to review with you and highlight the importance For God's church to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God to the world as a witness. I also want to challenge you brethren to examine yourselves to see where your heart is in regard to this critical facet of the end time work of God. I'd like you to look into your heart today and over the next week as you feed on the unleavened bread to see if there might be spiritual leaven present within you in regard to your attitude about preaching the gospel. So what is the gospel? Let's review very briefly. What is the gospel? The word for gospel in the Greek means nothing more than good message or good news. So when we preach the gospel of the kingdom of God, we're preaching the good message or the good news of the kingdom of God. I'll give you a couple of scriptures here that we won't turn to because in many cases you have memorized them. And if you haven't, you need to memorize these. Matthew 24, verse 14, what does it say? Christ said, when he was asked, what are some of the signs of the end of the age? He said, the gospel of the kingdom of God shall be preached as a witness to all the world. And then the end shall come. We preach the gospel as a witness. Christ indicated it; it would be done prior to His return. Matthew twenty-eight and Luke, or excuse me, Mark sixteen, are the Great Commission, where Christ, after He had been raised and gone to the Father and returned for forty days with His disciples, commissioned them to go forth and to preach the gospel to the world. And in fact. In Luke 16, he said, preach the gospel to every living creature. This is the resurrected Christ who gave this command to his disciples and to all of us. Turn with me to James chapter 1. Let's look at a couple more scriptures. The commission in the word regarding our responsibility to preach the gospel. James chapter 1. We'll read the inspiration that God inspired to be here. The Lord, the great Lord, that we heard praised in the special music. James chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed for what he does. We'll be blessed for what we do when we do What? When we're a doer of the work, we'll be blessed. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Back to the words of Christ Himself as He's admonishing His disciples. At the beginning of the chapter, He sent them out two by two. And He said, these signs will surely follow you as you preach confirming the word confirming the gospel. In Matthew chapter 10 we'll start reading in verse 22. Matthew 10:22. Christ said to his disciples then and to his disciples now, you and I today, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Why? Why will we be hated? For what we believe in and what we do and what we say in his name. You'll be hated for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Verse 23, when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. You won't have gone through the cities of Israel doing what? And why fleeing from one city to another? Because of what you do, the life you live, and because of what you say. People don't like the truth. They don't want to hear this gospel. Why? We'll get into that in a minute. Because the gospel is convicting and potentially convincing. People don't want to be forced to think in areas that are uncomfortable and cause change. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. What did the Apostle Paul have to say to the church at Corinth about this gospel? 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And verse 16, Paul said, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. What's he saying here? I can't boast for preaching the gospel. It's not something that came to my mind, and I'm going to get special credit because I'm doing it. I have nothing to boast of here. Because the gospel has to be preached. It's a default. It has to happen. So he couldn't take credit for that. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe is me, Paul said, if I don't preach the gospel. Why? Because he had to do it. He didn't have a choice. That was God's expectation. And he realized, if I don't preach it, I'm going to be in trouble. With who? With who? with God the Father and with Jesus Christ. It was the work. It was a continuation of the message of Christ. It was the thing He told them to do when He died and was resurrected. One of the last things He said, go, preach the gospel to every living creature. Brethren, nowhere in the Scripture does it say stop preaching the gospel. Nowhere. You will not find it in the Word. Yet, there are numerous groups out there who say the gospel has been preached to the world as a witness. It is done. And now all we need to do is feed the flock and prepare the bride, ready ourselves. Yet that's not scriptural. What's one of the other aspects of the gospel? Most of us, when we think about the gospel of the kingdom of God, think about The coming kingdom, and this is certainly part of it. The lion shall dwell with the lamb, and the little child shall lead them. And there will be peace and prosperity and abundance all over the earth. People will keep the Sabbath day throughout all the earth. They'll keep the feast days. And in fact, Zechariah says if they don't keep the Feast of Tabernacles, what happens? Their area of the world becomes very dry because there's no rain until they come up. Yes, this is part of the gospel of the kingdom. Part of the gospel of the kingdom is preaching about the king. You can't have the gospel of the kingdom without the king. And so we talk about Christ. We talk about what he did for us, what he suffered, and why he did that. So that he could bleed and his blood could wash us from our sins so we too can be members of the spiritual family of God. There's another aspect of the gospel as well that's critical and it's tied in with Christ. And with his suffering, 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter. Chapter 3. And verse 9. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. And is it not a good thing that Jesus Christ is patient with us? Long-suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should believe in Him. Is that what it says? Obviously, all should believe in Him. But all should come to repentance, is what Peter was inspired to write here. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Brethren, how do people come to repentance if they don't know what to repent of? What do we repent of? Breaking the laws of God. Sin. If you do not know that that is what we repent of, how do you do it? So the gospel entails preaching about repentance as well. Showing people the right way. And the wrong way to turn from. The wrong way to turn from and the right way to go to. That's what repentance means, to turn and go in the other direction. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Again, laying the foundation for the rest of the message here. The words of Paul we will read. Acts chapter 20 starting in verse 24. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace. Paul was testifying to the gospel of grace. What is grace? Yes, it's falling within the favor of God. But what does it mean to fall within the favor of God? What is grace? It's free, unearned or unmerited pardon. Pardon from sin. Free, unearned. We can't earn forgiveness. We can't earn the blood of Christ that was shed for us, that washes us from our sins. But Paul preached this in the gospel, didn't he? The gospel of grace. This ties in. It's part of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Repentance from dead works. Repentance from sin. Being forgiven. Because we can't enter the kingdom of God as sinners. The Bible's clear on that. We have to be forgiven. As Mr. Meredith says, we're the church of the forgiven. And it took the blood of Christ for that to be able to happen. This is part and parcel to the gospel of the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 John the Baptist was teaching and preaching in Galilee as a precursor setting the stage for Jesus Christ's own ministry and what was John the Baptist teaching? What was his gospel about? Matthew chapter 3 verse 1 in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand he was preaching repentance In fact, Acts 19 talks about John's gospel as being a gospel of repentance. And I won't turn to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. That also takes us to another holy day, the day of Pentecost. Peter was giving his sermon on the day of Pentecost, and the Jews came to the understanding that they were responsible for killing the Messiah. And they asked the question what do we do now? They realized they had killed the Messiah. And what did Peter say? Sorry, guys. There's this lake that's really hot. That's awaiting you. No, he didn't say that. He said what? Repent. And be baptized. For the remission of sins. And then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Gospel went forth from Jerusalem on that day, and it included repentance at the core of what it was about. Brethren, we've got to preach the awesome and exciting news of the soon-coming kingdom of God. How wonderful it will be when it is here in full force. But there's an element today, an element in many of the churches of God, that want to preach only the good, And the positive aspects of the gospel. And in fact, almost demonize the less exciting aspects of the gospel. Because we can't preach bad news. We preach about repentance. People aren't going to like that. We preach about a warning message. They're not going to like that. Yet, what does the scripture say? How can you talk about the right way without showing people how to turn? Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel, chapter 3. Now, Ezekiel's an interesting book for many reasons. I think most of you know and recall that Ezekiel was apparently inspired to write this book a little over a hundred years after the northern ten tribes. Israel went into captivity in the Assyrian Empire. It's about a hundred years later. At this point, the Israelites are dispersed all over the Assyrian Empire and actually all over the known world at that time. There was no core to write to. So when Ezekiel is writing to Israel and warning the leaders, act as a watchman, it's already too late for Israel. They're gone. He had to be talking about the future. And that's what he was doing. He's talking about now. He's talking about... The descendants of Israel. Let's start reading in Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 16. We know this is the part of the Ezekiel watchman message. Ezekiel 3, 16. Now it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Hear a word from my mouth and give them a warning for me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. And you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. That same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I shall require on your hand. Think about it. What was the role of the watchman? Let the people know of their sins. God is a loving God. He's a merciful God. He's not going to bring torment on people without telling them you can change this. And that's part of our responsibility today, to warn the nations, to let them know you can change and things will get better. But if you don't, rough times are coming. That was part of the message of Jonah as well to Nineveh. But God says here that if you don't warn, if we don't warn, what happens? If they die, it's our fault. Their blood is on our head. That's a huge responsibility, isn't it? We can't take that lightly, and we don't, do we? We try and focus on that. We've got to share that message. Let's continue here. Verse 19. Yet if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. We're off the hook. If we warn, and hopefully warn lovingly, empathetically and they don't change the blood's not on our head because they've chosen to reject what they hear verse 20 again when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity and I lay a stumbling block before him he shall die a righteous man turns from his righteousness to iniquity what's that talking about That's talking about people who know what righteousness is. That's talking about people who know the truth, who turn from that truth. People will do that. People have done that. But what's the warning here? Because you did not give him warning, he shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered. But his blood... I will require at your hand. You're guilty. We're guilty. There are those who've turned from righteousness, or in some cases have lost track of where righteousness is being preached. And if they die, if they die, and they've not heard the warning, they've not heard, hey, here it is. They've not been brought back what happens the blood is on our head we've got a responsibility not only to the world as a witness but to those who are lost to help try and turn them back verse 21 nonetheless if i warn if you warn the righteous man and the righteous should not sin and he does not sin he shall surely live because he took warning and you will have delivered your soul what a blessing it is to turn somebody back to the truth But when we read these passages in Ezekiel, we see God's not joking around. We as a church have an incredible responsibility to warn, to let people know they need to change. Because if we don't let them know and they suffer, it's our fault. That's the clear message of Ezekiel 3. And also chapter 33, God reiterates that same thing. Isaiah chapter 58 Isaiah chapter 58. Let's look at Isaiah's message to the same group. Again, speaking to Israel here. What does he say? Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 1 Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, and tell them just the good news? No. Tell my people their transgressions, their sins. In the house of Jacob, their sins. Cry aloud, spare not. Don't hold back. Let them know. Why? Because we want to see them crash and burn? Ha! You're going to get it, sinners. No. 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 Because we care. Because we want them to turn. We want them to share in the truth and the blessings. Why did Christ come? John 10.10. He came so we might have life and have it more abundantly. And we want everybody to have that opportunity, don't we? You know, the powerful, purposeful preaching of the gospel at the end time will act as a messenger. It will act as a watchman. And brethren, it will act as a beacon. A beacon. A light on a hill showing people where to go. It'll act as a beacon for those who are spiritually lost, too, so they can find their way back to the truth. And some of you are here today who saw the light shine. Let me read something from you. This is from the World Ahead Weekly Update, February 4, 2010. You may have read it yourself a couple of months ago. Good news from the Spanish broadcast in Miami. One of the respondents to the third airing, of the Living Church of God Spanish-language broadcast in Miami was a Colombian lady who, after the apostasy, had lost contact with the true Church of God and had moved to the United States. During all these years, she continued to keep the Sabbath and pray that God would bring her back to his fold. On Sunday, January 31, she was searching through the radio dial, as she had done many times in the past, hoping to find some substance among the numerous Sunday religious programs. She came across a broadcast in which God was referred to as the Eternal, and mention was made of keeping God's laws and statutes. She said in her heart, This is home. She will be attending God's church for the first time in 20 years this coming Sabbath, February 6. The truth and the gospel, brethren, have the opportunity to act as a beacon I've heard criticism in the past of why do we go on these television stations and pay so much money? You know, WGN is on at 3 a.m. in the morning on the West Coast. Who's up at 3 a.m.? A number of years ago, we had some brethren in one of our congregations, and the wife had a migraine headache. Got up at 3.30 in the morning, couldn't go back to sleep. Started flipping through the channels. Guess what? She came across WGN at 4 a.m. in Nebraska. She and her husband had been looking. Where is this truth? Where did it go? Well, she went in and woke up her husband. Sean, Sean, wake up! And Sean is his name. (laughs) Sean is now a deacon in one of the Wyoming congregations. Because the gospel has been preached. Brethren, the gospel has the opportunity to shine as a beacon. And we are called to be part of that, to back it with all of our being. Why? Because ultimately when we get down to it, the gospel of the kingdom of God is a gospel of love. Of love for the world. Caring for the world. Caring for their future. Caring for their potential. For their life today and their life tomorrow. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God ultimately comes down to love. An outgoing love and concern for the people of the world. People who are made in the same image of the Almighty God as you and I are. Brethren, do we care enough about them? to want to share the awesome truth of God with them that was lovingly shared with us. Young people, you know a truth that virtually none of your friends at school know. Do you recognize the power of the truth that God has opened your mind to have? The brightest minds in all of humanity have searched for time on end for what you know now. And we have the opportunity to share this with the world. Do we care enough about the world to want to show them how to change so that they too can partake of the tree of life and hopefully avoid the tribulation too? Brethren, ask yourself, where would I be today if no one had had the compassion to sacrifice and bring me the good news of the coming kingdom of God? including that doctrine of repentance. Let me read from a passage of What is a True Christian? One of our booklets authored by Dr. Meredith. He says, and I quote, A genuine follower of Jesus will strive to be a giver, to help, serve, encourage, and lift up his fellow human beings. He will put his whole heart into helping give God's precious truth to others. Unquote. Is that the kind of Christian you want to be? Is that the kind of Christian you're aiming to be? As you prepare for the Passover, as you examine yourself and you look for the leaven, is that the kind of Christian that's deep down inside? Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 again. Words from Jesus Christ here. Powerful words. Powerful words to us from the mouth of Christ almost 2,000 years ago. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. What does he call us? How does he reference us? You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And do what? Glorify Him, your Father in heaven. We've got to shine the light. We had a behind-the-work tape film at the feast last year, didn't we? Shining the light. And that's what it's all about. Do we shine the light? Do we get behind the, the central shining of the light from God's work Do we shine the light in our own lives and preach the gospel in our own right, the way we live, the examples that we set? I'm going to share a passage with you, a story with you. Some of you have heard of a German tycoon in the World War II era by the name of Oskar Schindler. Oskar Schindler was a businessman, businessman during World War II. And he is best known... For saving over a thousand jews from death in the nazi concentration camps The movie 1993 movie schindler's list Popularized this story. It's a movie that I ne- would not necessarily recommend It's extremely heavy and gut-wrenching But it sends a powerful message At the end of the movie There's a final scene where the war has ended this, his workers are being freed see what he did What Schindler did was he purchased Jews. He bought them from the Nazis. And he put them to work almost as slaves in his factories to protect them from death. They were actually serving the Nazi war machine, but they were protected from death in doing this. At the end of the movie, he's releasing them all. And he's making sure that they actually have money and goods so they can go out and start a life again. And as he's leaving, he's given a ring by all of them. It has a message that if you save one life, you've saved the world. And it gets him thinking about what he's done. Saved a thousand Jews as they're all lined up around him, men, women, children. And he begins thinking about what he did and what he didn't do. He gets ready to get in his car. And he looks at the car and realizes, if I had sold my car... I could have saved ten more lives. And he notices he has a pin on his lapel. And he pulls it off and he says, With this I could have saved two, maybe one more life. And he looks at the people. And he looks at the pin and he looks at the people and he looks at the pin and he says, One more life. And he breaks down. He had the potential. He didn't do enough in his mind's eye. Brethren, do we have this level of deep concern for the world? Do we feel this way individually? Are we going to get to that trumpet call and feel the way Schindler did? We could have saved one more life. We could have preached a little bit more. We could have given a little bit more. So maybe one more person didn't have to go through the tribulation. So that maybe one more person could be a first fruit and be here with us. Think about it. Look inside. Ask the question, is my heart truly in the work of God? Brethren, for a church to only feed the flock and not wholeheartedly preach the gospel is to be blinded by their own light and to utterly fail to demonstrate the love for the people in this world who are lost and who need the truth of God. We have got to have this level of concern, brethren, for the people of the world and for our lost brethren who are looking. I talk to people frequently who say, I didn't know you existed. I knew the work of God was going on. Christ promised that the gates of the grave would never prevail against his church. I knew it was there. But I didn't know where it was. How many people are lost? How many people still need to hear the message? Brethren, our hearts have got to be focused on this critical area of the truth. Bringing this gospel to the world. And what should our attitude be? As we bring the gospel to the world as a witness. What should it be? Should it be? Well, we've got to get this gospel out there so God can come and get them. Because they deserve it. No, obviously that shouldn't be it. What do we learn from the Scriptures? Ezekiel chapter 9. Ezekiel. Back to this prophet that was given a message, a warning message, the truth, to take to a lost people. And what was revealed here? What is revealed to us? About our attitude as we... Take this precious truth to the world. How does God want us to look at them? Ezekiel chapter 9. Breaking into verse 4. And the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of those who sigh and cry over the abominations that are done within it. Put a mark on these people. Separate them. Let them stand apart if they sigh and they cry over the abominations that are done. And that would probably include those who commit the abominations as well. Sigh and cry over them. What was Christ's example? Shortly before He died, He's standing on the mount overlooking Jerusalem. And He wept, didn't He? And what did He say? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets! I've sent them to you. I've tried to warn you and show you there's another way. And you rejected them. You killed them. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets. How I would have taken you under my wings like a mother hen, her brood. Held you fast, held you close, loved you, protected you. Christ, the Son of God, wept over these people who couldn't see their sins, who were deceived. Brethren, do we weep? Do we sigh and cry for the abominations we see in the world? We're called to put on the mind of Christ, aren't we? Philippians 2.5. Let's turn there. Philippians, here Paul is talking to the church at Philippi. And he's admonishing them about the way they're supposed to look at the world. Philippians 2.5, he says, Also, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. He gave it all. He gave it his all. He gave it literally all he had. And Paul is saying, let this mind be in you. And he's talking more than just intellectual knowledge, isn't he? He's talking about a heart. Let this heart be in you. That was in Christ Jesus. Look what He was willing to go through for us. Psalm chapter 126. Again, as we think about the attitude, the motivation that must go behind this preaching of the gospel, this telling of the good news, and even the warning message and the message of repentance, which are hard to hear. It's got to be done in love. From the bottoms of our hearts, so to speak. Psalm 126. Verse 5. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joy. Obviously, he's not talking about sowing a field. Most of us don't. When we plant our corn and plant our wheat and plant our tomatoes, have tears in our eyes. He's talking about sowing the truth, isn't he? Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. As we take the truth out there, we are sowing seeds for the kingdom of God, aren't we? Do we sow in tears? Something to think about. When you watch the telecast tomorrow morning, or you watched it this morning if you got up really early, or you watch it Monday evening, or you watch it online whenever that happens to be, what's your attitude behind watching that? Are you praying for its impact? God, let as many people hear this as possible. Do you cry sometimes? God, these people need this message. Help them to hear it. Do we sow in tears? Psalm chapter 72. The psalmist again writes something very powerful. Mr. Meredith, Dr. Meredith used this in his opening night message at the Feast of Tabernacles this past year. You may or may not recall it. It hit me on the side of the head like a bat, a baseball bat. I've read this before, but it struck me in a way that I've never been struck with this verse before. Psalm chapter 72. And I want you to read this, keeping Philippians 2.5 in mind, that we're to put on the mind of Christ. And again, who inspired this? Whose word is this? 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God. God breathed and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Keep that in mind as you read this verse. Psalm 72, verse 14. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence, and precious shall be their blood in His sight. Brethren, when you hear about deaths around the world, how do you respond? When you heard about several hundred thousand people dying in Haiti, thousands of amputees, Blood spilled all over the place. How did you respond? When you hear about the killings that happened all over central happen all over Central Africa, all over the Middle East right now. Brother killing brother. How do you respond? This says this gives God's perspective, Christ's perspective, and precious shall be their blood in his sight. Brethren, how precious is the blood? of your fellow brethren around the world. Yes, brethren in the truth, but human beings called are made in the same image as God with the same potential one day. Is their blood precious to you? I submit it should be precious to all of us. That's the mind of Christ. We have to learn to develop that perspective even more. Precious is the blood of all of these people. there's a contemporary Christian singer-songwriter by the name of Twyla Paris. She wrote a song a number of years back entitled, How Beautiful. And in it, she talks about the body of Christ and what it symbolizes and what it means for us. And then there's a transition in the song where she's no longer talking about literally Christ's body, but she's talking about the body of Christ as Colossians 1 talks about it, the church. Let me read some of these lyrics to you. How beautiful the radiant bride. And who is the radiant bride? Who's the bride of Christ? Look around the room. Seriously, please, look around the room. Look into the eyes of some of the people that are sitting with you. I'm serious, please do this. And now listen to what I'm going to read you. How beautiful the radiant bride who waits for her groom with his light in her eyes. How beautiful when humble hearts give the fruit of pure lives so that others may live. How beautiful, how beautiful, how beautiful is the body of Christ Now listen to this, how beautiful the feet that bring, the sound of good news, and the love of the king, how beautiful the hands that serve the wine and the bread, and the sons of the earth, how beautiful, how beautiful, how beautiful is the body of Christ, How beautiful the hands that serve the wine. What is the wine? Christ's blood that was spilled for the remission of our sins. That's the gospel of repentance. And the bread, what is that? Christ's body, which if you feed on it, you live on it, you have the opportunity for eternal life. What is feeding on Christ's body? It's doing what He said. If you love me, keep my commandments. How beautiful. The hands that serve the wine and the bread to the sons of the earth. Powerful lyrics of that song. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah 52. Twyla Paris is a very gifted songwriter. But she's not original. The lyrics come from the book. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news. And what is good news? Translated into the Greek, the gospel. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Your watchmen shall lift up their voices. With their voices they shall sing together, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Break forth into joy, sing together. Your waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. I hope that resonates with you. Powerful words, inspired obviously by our, by our almighty God. Ask yourself, brethren, is preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God in its corresponding message of the warning and repentance Is it an obligation or is it a heartfelt desire? You know, over the years, I've heard the accusation, and I think many of you have too. Perhaps some of us have even thought it ourselves that this is just a pray and pay church. You ever heard that? Oh, that church just tells you to pray and pay. Pray for more money. Put more money in. Brethren, how can such an accusation ever truly be made if we really love and care about the people in the world? Can we ever give enough to benefit mankind? Think about it. Do we yearn for more people to hear the truth, to repent, to change, to also be allowed to be spared this coming tribulation? Can you really pray and pay too much? Is it possible? Think about it. And now we're not going to pass the hat right now. But think about it. To make the accusation is to have your heart in exactly the wrong place. What does this truth mean to you? What are you willing to do to hold on to it? Christ gave a few parables about that, didn't he? If you've got the pearl of great price, what do you do? You sell everything so you can hang on to it. If you've got a treasure in your land, you sell everything you have so you can buy the land and hang on to the treasure. What does the gospel mean to you? What does the truth mean to you? What does it mean to you to share that truth with others? John chapter 4. John chapter 4, back to the words of Christ. John 4 and verse 34. What did Jesus Christ tell his disciples? What was his job? What was his role? What was his responsibility? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's why he was here. To do the will of the Father, to finish his work. Verse 35, do not say there are still four months. Then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you. What did he say? Don't say the harvest is ahead of us. Somebody else will take care of that. That's not our job. We just need to feed the flock and prepare the bride. Don't say that. Why? Why? Look, he says, the fields are already white with harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers in fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you've not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. We continue the work, but we can't say, oh, we'll do this next time. We'll do it tomorrow. We'll do it five years from now. We'll do it ten years from now. The two witnesses will finish the job. We don't have to do that right now. The fields are ripe and white with harvest now. Now is our job. We are on right now. This is our watch. And we've got a job to do. Philippians 1. Philippians 1, verse 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of... What does it say? The gospel of Christ. And what did Christ preach? We've been reading it. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear your affairs, that you stand fast, in one spirit, with one mind, Striving together for the faith of the gospel. And that's what we do, isn't it? We strive and we struggle together for the faith of the gospel. Because our conduct has to be worthy of that gospel. We have got to live a life that reflects the fact that our mind and our being and our heart are truly in this work. Brethren, contrary to popular beliefs, the work of preaching the gospel in the present age was not completed at the death of Herbert W. Armstrong. And there are many who say it was. We have all been called to be part of God's powerful end-time work, to preach the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God to the world, as a witness and as a beacon, so people can find their way. This, act, this gospel is God's act of love and our demonstration of love to a fading world. Again, do we love the people of the world enough to be part of God's gospel of love? You know, our calling is not solely about saving our flesh. I think you know that, you understand that. It's not just about preparing the bride and feeding the flock. And having the gospel as a secondary issue, if we have enough time and if we have enough money. Preaching the gospel to the world takes a commitment, brethren, doesn't it? A commitment of resources, of time, of effort, and most of all, it takes a commitment of heart. Preaching the gospel to the world is the principal work of God on this earth, and it is a matter of heart. Brethren, true Philadelphians will preach the gospel, the good news, And this must be part of the core of who we are. What makes you tick? What makes you tick? How deeply embedded in you is the purpose of preaching the gospel? Brethren, Christ's church must be about the work of our Father and finish His work, and the work isn't done. We were told in Matthew 10, we read it, that we won't have gone throughout all the cities of Israel preaching this gospel before the return of Christ. But we're trying, aren't we? And we're going to try and do it as much as we can. And as we're reminded in the announcements, we're going to try and preach it throughout all the world. God willing, we'll take it to China if he'll let us. Every living creature, Christ said, needs to receive this gospel. I encourage you, brethren, keep your focus on the gospel, on caring enough about the people of the world, to want to help them see this awesome truth and overcome today. When we think about it, this is the footwashing attitude that Christ had. That attitude of service. That attitude of service that He supported with His life. I encourage you, examine yourself. Make sure your heart truly is in the work. And that it's not distracted from God's ordained commission. I'm going to read a Powerful quote to you from the August 28, 1967 co-worker letter written by Herbert W. Armstrong. In my decades in the church, I've seen this to be true. In my time in the ministry, I've seen this quote to be true. And I'll quote, in 33 and a half years of this work, I've noticed that those who grow spiritually are those whose hearts and interests are in the work, God's work. And those who individually fell away or lost out were those who were interested only in their own personal spiritual development and had no interest in getting the gospel to the world. I will read that again. In 33 and a half years of this work, I've noticed that those who grow spiritually are those whose hearts and interests are in the work, God's work. And those who individually fell away and lost out were those who were interested only in their own spiritual development and had no interest in getting the gospel to the world. Think about that. As we examine ourselves and we look inside deep, we've got to look for the leaven, don't we? The spiritual leaven on this topic would be it's not important to preach the gospel. And if it's there, we've got to find it and we've got to seek it out And as we heard in the sermonette, we've got to throw it in the fire and burn it. We've got to get rid of it. Brethren, I encourage you, put your hearts in the work even more. Develop the love for God's children around the world that will help you see the preaching of the gospel, the givings of tithes and offerings for that purpose as even more of a privilege, an opportunity, and a Christian responsibility. Brethren, as we do this, we will hear Praise from our king and our elder brother one day that says well done my good and faithful servants enter into the joy of your Lord As we put our hearts into being and living And preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God to this world That is in desperate need brethren one day That world is going to look back on us and gratefully call out with tears of thankfulness How beautiful the feet that bring the sound of good news and the love of the king.